Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. One of the most controversial topics in Christian doctrine is the second coming, eschatology, the doctrine of the end times. Christians disagree on it and sometimes disagree very vocally. But although these things divide us to some extent, they should not mar our fellowship, for none of us know with precision what's going to happen in the last day and what the Lord has planned for us. So come with me, and we look at the doctrine of the end times, and we look at the general resurrection of the dead, and we try to figure out how someone who has been cremated and whose ashes have been scattered will be raised at the last day. I'm Bob McAvoy. This is the Semper Reformata podcast. going to look at the subject of the resurrection of the dead. Now the problem is that as soon as we speak of the resurrection, Christians will disagree. Is there one resurrection or is there two? Or perhaps three? Or maybe even four? And when we sort all that out, then we have to ask the question, how will we be able to be resurrected from the dead if we have been cremated? or eaten by lions, as many first-century Christians were, or lost at sea and eaten by fish. Well, all of that is a huge task, and it's what lies ahead of us in this Bible study. So the first question we want to ask today is, how many resurrections? So what's the issue? Well, the first thing we want to see is in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verse 5 to 6, and there we learn that there's going to be two, or as some people would say, more than two resurrections. The text says this, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no part. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the question that we need to ask is, what is the difference between the first resurrection and the second resurrection? Revelation 20 verse 5 to 6 clearly indicates that there are two resurrections. The first resurrection, and then it talks about the second death. And we also need to ask, is there a time space between them? Now, the modern view, the view that's common in Northern Ireland, the dispensationalist view, is that there will be a rapture when Jesus will return for his saints and the dead in Christ only will be raised from the dead. And then later, after the seven-year period of tribulation, in which they think the Antichrist will run amok in the world, Jesus will return again. This time, not for his saints, but with his saints returning as a mighty army, and that there will be a great battle at a place called Armageddon, 
and Christ will be victorious and he'll set up his millennial kingdom on earth where he will reign for a thousand years. That's the dispensationalist view. That's what's often taught in many evangelical churches. But is that what the Bible teaches? I want you to come back with me to John's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse 24 to verse 30. Now, what's happening in that chapter? A man who has been suffering from paralysis is lying at a pool in Jerusalem. He's hoping that the next time the waters move, it will be an angel stirring the water and offering healing to the first person to enter the water. But he can't move, and he has no one to help. So he is helpless and paralysed and hopeless. And then he meets Jesus, who commands him to rise and to take up his bed and to walk. He's healed, he obeys, but it's the Sabbath. And carrying your bed on the Sabbath is work, according to the traditions of the Jews. And so those same Jews are not at all impressed. They find out who it was that healed the man, and they begin a plot against him, and resolve to kill him. In response to this, Jesus makes a defence. In John 5 and verse 17, he begins that defence, and that includes some teaching on the resurrection. So in 1 John 5 and verse 24, for example, he tells the Jews, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Do you hear that phrase? Passing from death to life. He who hears my word and believes passes from death to life. Now that's a resurrection. Let's continue in verse 25, where Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Now that's a resurrection too. But again, there's something that we need to notice really carefully here, and it's this phrase, The hour is coming, and now is. Now, how could Jesus be talking about a resurrection hour that is now and at the same time be not yet present and yet at the same time in the future? How can the dead hear the voice of Jesus and live right now? Let's look at the now and the not yet. I'm going to propose to you today that at conversion we are brought from death to life. That as sinners we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet in Christ we have new life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, And you have he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Colossians 2 and 13, And you being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So in Christ we are raised to new life. Now be careful to note that the ungodly have no part in this. They have not been raised to new life in Christ. So the now is when we come to Christ and believe. But what about the not yet? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 51 to 52 
And we read there, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In that passage, we learn that a day is coming, when the Lord Jesus will return to this earth, and Paul is telling us what that day will be like. We shall be dead, we shall be in the grave, and at a sudden, unannounced time, when the living will least expect it, the Lord Jesus will return to this earth. A trumpet will sound, a great noise, the dead will be called forth from their graves, never to die again. Their new bodies will be incorruptible, we shall be changed. A paraphrase parses this passage from the Bible. It says, we are not all going to die, but we are all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in the time that you look up and blink your eyes it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment and in the same way, we'll all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. This mortal replaced by the immortal. That's not a translation. It's only a paraphrase, but it gives you a good idea of what's going on. So now we have two resurrections. We have a raising from death to life happening at conversion, and we have a physical resurrection of the body happening on the last day. What about the ungodly at this future resurrection? The dispensationalist, of course, believes that at his proposed first future resurrection, only Christians will be raised, with the ungodly following seven years later at a second future resurrection. That's not actually what Jesus says. If you go back to John's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now again, pay very close attention to the text. There is no difficulty at all here. When Christ returns, all who are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, all. In fact, in the next line, he explains even further that those who have done good will be raised to eternal life, while those who have done evil will be raised only to be condemned. The righteous dead and the ungodly dead rising at exactly the same time simultaneously when the Lord returns. Now there are some caveats. Look at the descriptions of the dead. They are described here as those who have done good and those who have done evil. Now we have to be careful with this because we know that there is no one who does good. I officiated at a funeral where a nephew of the woman who had died insisted on doing a Bible reading. 
He read this passage from John 5, and he greatly stressed the words, Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And he paused, and he looked at the congregation in the funeral director's chapel, and he said, My aunt was a good woman. I think he genuinely believed that his aunt was good enough to get to heaven without Christ. Paul is adamant that it is not possible for someone to be in heaven without Jesus, without his salvation. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, we need to read down to verse 15. We read these words, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Basically, if only those who are good in and of themselves will be raised to eternal life, then none of us will qualify. For Jesus himself said that only God is good. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 17. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. We need to be made good. And we can only be made good in Christ to have his righteousness bestowed upon us so that our sins, our lack of goodness, can be forgiven. The descriptions of the dead. But look at the difference in the destinations. Although this is one resurrection, at the end of time, when the Lord returns, It could be said that there are two separate resurrections going on here. For there are differences in the purpose and ends of the resurrection of the lost and of the saved. The saved, the saints, are being raised to eternal life, to be changed into Christ's image, whereas the lost are raised to be judged and to eternal condemnation. These two resurrections are of different character, but they are not chronologically separated. They will occur at the same time as one event. So let's spend a wee moment comparing John 5 and Revelation 20. Let's set the two side by side and see if there is any disagreement. Revelation 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Remember that when Jesus spoke of the conversion of the saints as passing from death unto life, we agreed that passing from death to life constitutes a resurrection, the first resurrection. And so in Revelation 20 and verse 6, we get some idea of those who have taken part in the first resurrection, who have passed from death to new life. We get some idea of their condition. It is blessed. It is holy. It will not be affected by the second death. That's eternal death. Revelation 20 and verse 14 explains what the second death is. It says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. But those who have taken part in the first resurrection, 
shall live forever. In fact, they are priests and kings. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, priests and kings. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 talks about how Christ has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. Revelation 5 and verse 10 tells us that he has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So the people who have taken part in the first resurrection then in Revelation are the same people with the same circumstances and the same blessings as the people who have been given new life now in Christ. So let's reach a conclusion. The reform position on this, the position of amillennialists at least, is that when we are saved, a radical event has occurred in the life of the believer. The believer has passed from death unto life. The Christian is truly a new creation. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. The first resurrection has occurred at your conversion. But a day is coming when Christ will surely return and the dead will be raised. All the dead, those who have been made righteous in Christ, and the lost will all hear the trumpet to sound and will be raised. But their destinations will be different. This second resurrection at the coming of Jesus we call the general resurrection of the dead. there is one final point that we need to look at and that is to ask the question how will resurrection work sometimes i get asked to officiate at a gravesite where the deceased person has been cremated and the family now wish to bury the cremated remains the ashes of course there's no provision for this in the old reform book of common order so what do we say as words of committal at a service like that well, I've decided that it's exactly the same wording as a burial. We commit his or her cremated remains to the ground, ashes to ashes, to await that day of the general resurrection of the dead. But before we explore why, read Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 to 14. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. 
Now it's easy to understand how the grave might give up its dead. Because we think of physical bodies lying in the dust of the earth. But how can the sea give up its dead? When bodies are lost or buried at sea, and they'd be eaten by fish, and they'd be dissolved in the salt water. And what about bodies that have been cremated? Well, to understand this, we have to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35 to verse 44. Here's verse 35. Someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Paul is likening our death to sowing a seed. A little seed that grows into a new body. Now we never really understood this until recently. But you see the Bible is light years ahead of science. Remember that it was God who designed us and who knows us best. Paul calls it a seed. Nowadays scientists call it DNA. And even if we are cremated, and even if our ashes are scattered in the winds, that seed remains. When the resurrection of the dead occurs, our bodies are not just restored to what they were before, with all the problems and sicknesses, ailments. They are resurrected to a new, immortal, incorruptible body like Christ's resurrection body. Some people find that hard to believe. But for Christians who believe that the biblical doctrine of creation is true, that God created this world out of nothing at all, that he created the heavens and the earth and everything within them, that he made Adam out of dust, that he breathed life into him, that he made Eve out of Adam's rib, it is far from impossible to see how so powerful a God can raise to life mortal remains that have been buried, and burned and scattered. Bodies that have been eaten by lions. Bodies that have been cast into the very depths of the sea. So we see how resurrection works. It's like sowing a seed. And on the day when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the Christian shall rise to be with the Lord on the day of the general resurrection. And the unbeliever will be raised unto condemnation and unto judgment. Our next study, we'll look at the difference in character between the resurrection of the just and the resurrection of the unjust at the last day. And perhaps if there's time, we'll even take a brief look 
of what the Bible means when it talks about the Battle of Armageddon.